if you were hurting other people before, that not only do you stop hurting them, but that you are doing the opposite, that you are now helping those you were hurting before. It's not about changing from a negative to a neutral, but rather changing from a negative to a positive. That is true repentance and conversion. That is what true restitution is all about. Hello and welcome to another message from the Latter Rain Ministries, where we're dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. Today we'll be talking about confession and restitution. We can find a new beginning in Christ which involves the forgiveness of our sins, but our repentance must be genuine. For salvation to occur, our repentance and conversion must have true significance. And as part of that repentance and conversion, there must be a confession of sins and restitution or restoration made to those people we have hurt through our sins. Sin doesn't happen in a vacuum. And when we sin, we sin against God, our neighbor, and even ourselves. But through Christ, we must strive to right the wrong. Today's message is inspired on Numbers chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, Holy Lord, hallowed and glorified be your name. Blessed be your name forever and ever. Your kingdom come, Lord God. Your will be done on earth as it is done in heaven. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Holy God, that you please forgive my sins. I pray, Heavenly Father, Holy God, that your mercy may continue to endure like it is promised in your word. I pray, Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, O Lord, for the anointing of your Holy Spirit and that I may be able to share your true word. Heavenly Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that you may help us, O Lord, to be attentive to your word. Heavenly Father, that your anointing may be in all things. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise forever and ever. For yours is the kingdom and the power now and always. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Today's key passage is in Numbers chapter 5, verses 5 to 7. This is the word of the Lord. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel. When a man or a woman commits any sin that men commit in unfaithfulness against the Lord, and that person is guilty, then he shall confess a sin which he has committed. He shall make restitution for his trespass in full, plus one-fifth of it, and give it to the one he has wronged. A misconception that exists in our Christian community is that the only one we owe confession of our sins is to the Lord. And of course, we need to confess all of our sins to the Lord, to repent and convert from them. Whether it is the first time we're doing it for salvation or the ongoing process as a follower of Jesus Christ. But we are not made perfect when we first come to Christ. We are forgiven for our sins. But also we need to continue undergoing the transformation, the continual process of sanctification, as the Bible calls it, where we continue changing, continue leaving sin behind as we become aware of it. And so in either case, we need to continue confessing our sins and turning away from them so that we can obtain God's mercy. In 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says, If we confess our sins... He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But what is the misconception? That we only need to come to Christ for confession of our sins. The Bible teaches that we need to have fruits that are worthy of repentance or this concept of restitution that we just read about at the beginning. 
There needs to be a fundamental change in us, an abandoning of the old lifestyle. In Luke chapter 3, verse 7 to 14, for instance, it says, Then he said to the multitudes that came out to be baptized by him, Brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance, and do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children to Abraham from these stones. And even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Therefore every tree which does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. So the people asked him saying, What shall we do then? He answered and said to them, He who has two tunics, let him give to him who has none. And he who has food, let him do likewise. Then tax collectors also came to be baptized and said to him, Teacher, what shall we do? And he said to them, Collect no more than what is appointed for you. Likewise, the soldiers asked him, saying, And what shall we do? So he said to them, Do not intimidate anyone or accuse falsely and be content with your wages. In this passage, we read that it's not just about faith or for the Hebrew to belong to the lineage of Abraham. <clears throat> the Hebrews thought that because they descended from Abraham that the promises of God were automatically applied to them. When they asked John the Baptist about what they needed to do when he confronted them, he told them that they needed to change, to be different, to have fruits worthy of repentance. John baptism was all about repentance but he was also explaining to them that it wasn't just about immersing yourself in the water. The baptism of repentance was an outward symbol of repentance. He was explaining to them that they needed to exhibit a change in life, that if a person was selfish or never helped their neighbor, to start helping them, that if a tax collector was unfair in their collection because of robbery or whatever other reason, to stop being unfair and to collect only what was necessary. And if a soldier took advantage of their position, to stop taking advantage and to be fair, to do their job honestly. And so this all pointed to a change in life that meant righting the wrong with those people they had hurt before. In Luke chapter 6, Jesus taught us this, which many people refer to as the golden rule where it says, And just as you want men to do to you, you also do to them likewise. Fruits worthy of repentance or restitution is about showing your repentance or your change in life practically. And not only do you stop committing the sins you used to, but also going back to those people you hurt before. The concept here is to treat others as you would like to be treated. Now, here is a question you should ask yourself to consider. If someone has hurt you and all they do is just ask God for forgiveness and they never go back to you to never make amends, how would you feel about that? Would you think that their so-called repentance or change in life is genuine? Probably not. The error is that most believers think that they only owe God confession, even when they have wronged other people. But the Bible teaches that we must have a change in life and try to make up for the damage we cause to another person because of our sin. You see, sin doesn't just hurt yourself. It can also hurt others along the way. When a person steals, they're taking from someone else. When a person commits adultery, they're hurting their spouse and their family. When a person has anger issues, they usually wrong the people around them or are abusive to them. And we can go on and on and on. 
Forgiveness through Christ is a wonderful thing. It is a marvelous thing to be able to wipe the slate clean, so to speak, to start new. But we must try to follow the entire path, not just what is convenient or easy for us. In the end, and for a person to be saved, there must be a complete transformation, a ceasing of doing those things that are sinful, and to live out that forgiveness with other people. In John chapter 8, for instance, it tells us a story about the adulterous woman where it says, Now early in the morning he came again into the temple, and all the people came to him, and he sat down and taught them. Then the scribes and Pharisees brought to him a woman caught in adultery, and when they had set her in their midst, they said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in adultery in the very act. Now Moses and the law commanded us that such should be stoned. But what do you say? This they said, testing him, that they might have something of which to accuse him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote on the ground with his finger as though he did not hear. So when they continued asking him, he raised himself up and said to them, He who is without sin among you, let him throw a stone at her first. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. Then those who heard it being convicted by their conscience went out one by one, beginning with the oldest even to the last. And Jesus was left alone and the woman standing in the midst when Jesus had raised himself up and saw no one but the woman, he said to her, Woman, where are those accusers of yours? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said to her, Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Now, in this particular instance, we won't get into where was the man that this woman had committed adultery with, because according to the law, both the woman and the man should have been stoned. Maybe the man got away or it was a religious trap that the scribes and Pharisees were tending for the Lord. But one thing is for sure, and that is that the woman had committed adultery. That was not a fabrication. But what did the Lord say at the end? He didn't condemn her, but he also told her to go and to sin no more. There needed to be a change in life so that God's forgiveness could have its full effect. Now, if she would have continued carrying on with her adultery, would that mean that she had changed? Of course not. And just as important, if she would have just continued living life as usual and not having done something about the wrong she did, would that mean that the forgiveness that the Lord bestowed on her would continue? And we would have to say, no. Why? because she didn't have a change in life. She would not be showing fruits worthy of repentance. We would have to wonder if whether or not she repented genuinely, or if it was just something at the moment, or because she saw herself close to being killed. This is something that happens quite often with a lot of people. Their so-called repentance sometimes lasts for a short while, and they only repent because they got caught, or just to get over a circumstance. But many times, people just continue down their the usual path. And of course, they continue harming others along the way. Like in the case of adultery, a person is hurting their spouse and their family because their children are affected by adultery also, if they are children. There must be a change in life. There must be a before and after. And not just a temporary before and after, but a certain stopping point and of a righting the wrong. Let's look at what Isaiah chapter one says. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. When you come to appear before me, 
who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Your new moons and your appointed feasts, my soul hates. They are a trouble to me. I am weary of bearing them. When you spread out your hands, I will hide my eyes from you. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Come now and let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall be as wool. So through this is that we learn that true forgiveness from the Lord is possible, but only when there is a putting away of evildoing, when a person ceases to do wrong, when a person learns to do good and to seek justice. What does it mean to seek justice? That a person tries to right the wrong, to bring about restitution to the person they harm, whether it is the Lord directly because they have sinned against the Lord and also to the people they have hurt along the way. In that change of life or newness of life we find in Christ, we should use our newfound freedom to repay the damage done to people that we have hurt and not just when we come to Christ, but as you follow him because we will continue to sin. When we come to Christ, that doesn't mean that you will stop sinning. We will sin. We should just sin less and less. But when we do, and we either sin against the Lord or others, we should endeavor to try to restore the damage done. Sin causes damage in one way or another, no matter how small or insignificant it seems. And a person might think, well, what I do wrong doesn't hurt anyone. But that is not true. At the very least, you are hurting yourself. And the moment another person is involved, you hurt that other person. And of course, everything that we do wrong is a sin against God. So no matter how you look at it, sin is wrong and it hurts everything it touches. No matter how insignificant it seems and no matter how much society says it's right. The Bible says in Acts chapter 3, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. The implication of repentance and conversion is not just about saying that you are sorry, but about a complete change of life, about turning away the opposite direction that you were traveling. And that within itself means if you were hurting other people before, that not only do you stop hurting them, but that you are doing the opposite, that you are now helping those you were hurting before. It's not about changing from a negative to a neutral, but rather changing from a negative to a positive. That is true repentance and conversion. That is what true restitution is all about. Let's look at the story of Zacchaeus for a moment in Luke chapter 19, where we read the following. Then Jesus entered and passed through Jericho. Now behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus, who was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And he sought to see who Jesus was but could not because of the crowd, for he was short of stature. So he ran ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was going to pass that way. And when Jesus came to that place, he looked up and saw him and said to him, Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today 
I must stay at your house. So he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. But when they saw it, they all complained, saying, He is gone to be a guest with a man who is a sinner. Then Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, I give half of my goods to the poor. And if I have taken anything from anyone by false accusation, I restore fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because he is also a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. So in Zacchaeus, we see that there is a change in life. We see that he pledges to the Lord that he will give half of his goods to the poor. So the first thing he lets go of is his selfishness. And rather than keeping everything for himself, he changes and intends to give a lot of what he has away. And what is the second thing we see? Zacchaeus pledged that if he has taken anything away from anyone by false accusation or unjustly, he's going to restore what he took to give restitution fourfold or four times back what he took unjustly. And what happened after these bold confessions and promises? The Lord said, today salvation has come to this house, meaning that Zacchaeus was doing things worthy of repentance, that he was in fact turning completely away from his evil ways. These are the reasons why salvation was being bestowed on this person that was lost. And so what do we learn from this? That salvation is only going to occur when there is true repentance and conversion, when there is a complete turning away from sin and towards the Lord. And that includes not just professing that Jesus is the Lord of a person's life, but also that it includes giving restitution to those people a person has hurt along the way through their sinful ways. When a person comes to Jesus Christ, it's not about saying that you are sorry and that's it. It's about making a complete life change, about being transformed and made new through the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. You see, the Holy Spirit once in your life will guide you to do completely contrary to what you used to do before coming to Christ. That if you committed fornication, sex before and or outside of marriage, that you stop doing that and that you somehow give restoration to those you did it with. What is the way you can restore the damage? By going to them you fornicated with and asking them to forgive you by telling them that what was done was wrong and that they need to seek God's forgiveness and be changed by the Lord Jesus Christ so they too can find God's eternal salvation. See how that works? So rather than committing evil and sinful acts with another, when a person is in Christ, they should turn things into a completely opposite direction. As a follower of Jesus Christ, we are to do good to people all around us, which is the opposite of sinning. This is what the Lord meant by us being salt and light in the world. We are to make the world taste better, so to speak. We are supposed to bring the light of reason of good works to the world we live in. And that means that if we have wronged anyone, we must pray and look for the opportunities to repair the damage done, to confess our sin before those people we have hurt and to give restitution or right the wrong. The Bible says, confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. This is God's will for our lives and the very reason for why he sent the Lord Jesus Christ to the cross so that we could find forgiveness and eternal life 
as we turn away from our sins and to follow in the Lord's footsteps. Ultimately, God wants for us to have life and have it abundantly. And what helps us to have that life he wants us to have comes through this confession and restitution. God is a God of new beginnings and restorations. Come to him and follow his ways so you can have your life restored and help restore those you have sinned against. God is true life. There is no life in anything else. And his ways are the only ways we have to follow that can produce the life we need, eternal life. Nothing else in this world can give you that, neither the pleasures of this life, nor money, nor other people, not even the devil can give you eternal life, nor the peace that comes into you when God comes to fill your heart with his presence through the Holy Spirit. The world is full of empty promises and deceit. No matter how good or fulfilling they try to make it seem, there's really nothing of value there. The good times that the world offers are only good for the moment they are there, but they are limited. And you can't take with you all of the things that you strive for here. You can't take your house or your car or your money or your investments into heaven with you. Even if they put them in the grave with your body, that's where they will stay. Just look at the Egyptian royalty and their pyramids. They tried to take their material possessions with them, but their decayed bodies are still there with all of the things they had. You might say, I have a good life, John. I don't need your Jesus. And that may be true, but the Bible has this to say, for whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Or for the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels and then he will reward each according to his works. And some of you might still be thinking, I have more than enough time to come to Christ. I'm going to live my life and do what I want, and I'll think about heaven later. And the Lord himself told us this parable. Then he spoke about a parable to them saying, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentifully. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all of my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. And whose will those things be which you have provided? So you see, you never know when it will be your time. And if your time comes unexpectedly and you decided to do your own will rather than the Lord's will, what then? You can't talk your way out of hell. You can't negotiate with God. There's only one way to salvation, and that is doing the Father's will, which starts with confessing our sins and restoring those people we have harmed with our sins. True faith is looking to do God's will and following the Lord Jesus Christ is at the center of that and following his ways and doing as he guides us through his Holy Spirit and through his word. Quite simply, if we do God the Father's will, we will be allowed to enter his kingdom. But if we refuse to do his will, we will not be allowed to enter. For it is written, for everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall not enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. 
So I would urge you, for your own sake, look to do the Father's will. Confess your sins to Him and to those you have wronged, and endeavor through the Lord Jesus Christ to right the wrongs you have done to those around you, starting with God and working your way down to everyone else. This is the only way you can find God's forgiveness through true faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us pray. Lord God, Heavenly Father, blessed be your name. Help us, O Lord God, Heavenly Father, to understand what faith is. That faith is not just about believing, but about doing, looking to do your will. Help us, O Lord, Heavenly Father, to seek that part of your will that has to do, Lord God, with repenting from our sins, from changing from our evil ways, Lord God, and being able to restore to those we have hurt, Lord God. Heavenly Father, help us to understand that true repentance yields fruit, yields, Lord God, actions that say that we have repented, that we have changed, that, that we want to follow you, that we want to do those things that are truly right before you. Help us to understand, Lord God, that our lives need to glorify your name, Lord God. Help us, O oh Lord, to understand, Heavenly Father, that we need to live out a true faith in you. And that part of that faith is, Lord God, restitution to those people we have hurt. Heavenly Father, help us to right the wrongs. Help us, O oh Lord, to be conscious and aware of the wrong things that we do and help us to turn away from them. To you be all the honor and the glory and the praise. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Please join us again next time as we look into God's Word together. And if you have any questions or just need some prayer, please email us through our website. If you want to listen to other messages, you can go to our website or look for our podcast in the Apple iTunes store under The Latter Rain Ministries to subscribe. The Latter Rain Ministries is a self-supporting Christian ministry dedicated to sharing Jesus Christ and His truth with the world. The Lord is near. May God bless you.